to our hearts, Lord, as we study your word. We desire to hear from your voice, Lord. We don't want to just get smarter. We want to get better. Um, We don't want to accumulate more knowledge or information, Lord. We want a transformation, Lord. We desire a transformation, Lord. You're changing us from the inside out. And as we sang about, it's towards overcoming. It's towards not being a prisoner to our circumstance. It's towards not having our emotions dictate how faithful and how obedient we are. And so, Father, we desire to go in that direction. We want to go after what you put before us. We want to respond to how you test us and challenge us. And we want to be in agreement with the work you're doing in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. And Lord, we want to trust your intentions over our lives. So I thank you for your word and that you're going to speak to our hearts, Lord. Bring uh, changes and shifts into our hearts and our minds where there needs to be. I pray that we would not want to nor be able to procrastinate. But we would just want to respond, Lord. You're so good and so faithful. And any part in our lives, in our lives, Father, that just is under the influence of no hope and just a lying spirit, we pray that your truth will come in and just shake that out. I thank you, Father, as we surrender unto you and we just listen and we prepare the soil of our hearts that you're going to plant a good seed, Lord, and you're going to bring the growth. So we just thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, 1 Samuel 24, I, I, uh, this is a pretty cool chapter. It's pretty cool. And it happens again, this kind of scenario. It happens in two chapters. And this particular part about David's life only just kind of blew me away. Because as we've been studying, we've been seeing, God is doing an amazing preparation. We say preparation. Preparation, preparation work, not punishment. We say punishment. punishment. And I shake your head no. No, it's not what he was doing. He does it in some situations, you know, where we're disobedient and we turn our backs to him and we just say no and we try and do our own thing. But it's preparation when we humbly come before him and we want more of him in our lives and we're saying, Father, direct me, lead me, guide me, show me. That's what I want. So then he prepares us for what he wants to already give to us, which, is, which are good things. But we could also become enslaved to and burdened by those really good things he wants to give us. So we need preparation. And we've, been, we've had the privilege to study through King David's life and see how the Lord is preparing him. It's about 20 years of preparation that he needs so that way he can really effectively be the king that God called him to be, um, that he, way he can really rule over the kingdom in the way that really God wants to see happen. And so this chapter, and a couple chapters from now, it's always blown me away ever since. I, I don't know when the first time I read it, you know, probably high school years or something like that. I'm like, wow. How did he know? How, how did he do that? Where did that come from? And, you know, as I think about, you know, this chapter and what we're going to read about, it's very much about um, character development. We can never really underestimate the development of character, and that's kind of synonymous with integrity in our lives. Character and integrity are at a premium in the kingdom. If you or I 
do not walk in strength, and we don't really walk well or strongly in character and in integrity, well, you kind of know, you might have some idea of what happens there. You end up faking a lot. And it doesn't last very long. It's not very convincing, and you don't win very much. So character and integrity is huge. And character looks like, you had to put a definition to it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to put an idea to it, a concept to it. Character is like, nobody has to tell you and force you to do the right thing. It's like you choose it on your own, whether anyone notices or not. And character says, I'm, I'm going to choose also to not draw attention to it. I'm not going to do that. Character and integrity says, even though I might not get caught, I still won't do it. Character and integrity says, you know what? Mm, that's kind of dangerous territory for me. That relationship, like that sort of entertainment, this, that. I just don't even want to go around. I'm not even going to flirt with the line. I'm not actually going to head the other way because if I get close to the line, I can get in trouble. You understand? Character and integrity. And most of the time, like, we want people to tell us what to do. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. And we want somebody to be in a position where it's like, hey, listen, you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to do this. And sometimes people manipulate and use a very good gift of prophecy, and they rely on somebody to tell them what to do. And to be honest with you, most times, God just wants us to be with him in a very pure way so we can respond and react to his voice inside of us leading us to go or make a decision a certain way. And if our character and our integrity isn't really in the place it needs to be, we can very easily get sidetracked and go down paths really we shouldn't go down. I'm waiting for the day and I might be waiting for a long time, where Jaron comes to me and says, Dad, it's not like his birthday or Christmas. And he says, Dad, you know, don't get me any presents this year. <laughs> because I'm coming to find out I want them too much. And they're starting to dominate my life a little too much, Dad. <laughs> so maybe we should take a break this year. What a remarkable, right, step of maybe maturity that, and character that that would be, right? And it'd be unrealistic to project that onto a six-year-old. But sometimes use hyperbole, exaggeration, right, to make a point. Or sometimes we get around situations, like, and people, or what if somebody was like, hey, listen, I'm going to pay off your mortgage today. I'm writing you a check. I'm paying off your mortgage. Amen, Amen. yeah. There could be another place and another person that says, you know what? I don't think you should maybe do that quite yet. I am a disaster in the financial area of my life. And chances are, if you take care of this right now, I'm not even really going to take seriously what I need to take seriously. So maybe I take up on that name maybe next year. But right now is not a good time for me because I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And it'll just perpetuate the root problem I have, which I don't know how to spend money well because I got 14 credit cards also maxed out. So. Right, that's another area, right, another realm. Like, nobody, 
That would be really nice if somebody were going to, hey, come by and, hey, cover your mortgage and do that for you. But somebody with high integrity and character says, you know what? That sounds really good, but I don't know if if it's really going to help me. That's why sometimes I feel so bad for all these professional athletes, you know? They, I don't really have experience, you know, with money and just having lots of things and people being around them. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they quote-unquote make it. They sign these big contracts. They get all this money. They have no idea what to do with it. Um, and they make horrible decisions. They have no idea what they're doing with it. If they didn't all of a sudden get good character and good integrity. The money just highlighted all the deficiencies and all the problematic areas that they have with their character and integrity. And a lot of times people are just like, oh, you know, look at that. Look how dumb they are. I always knew it. It's like, why? Really? Let's throw a bunch of money on you and see what you do. So character and integrity, they go such a long way because what that does is that guards us against things owning us and people owning us. So then we, like, we keep our minds in a place to where I really just want to respond to the Lord's leading in my life. Even if something looks like a great opportunity that fell in your lap, guess what? It might not at all be from the Lord. You might, he's like, that's not my plan for you. This great relationship fell into my lap. Oh, this is so good. It must be from God. I'd consider maybe it it might not be. So just because situations really fall on our laps and they just happen or just... There's a next level that's just sensitive more to His voice and to His plan than it is about how our circumstances create things for us. And so we're going to read about David, what's going to happen with him, and it's like... It just leaves you scratching your head. And this won't be the first time he does it. He does it again another time. It's remarkable. And honestly, then we, start, we can put together the pieces of like, man, it's no wonder that God would choose this man and put him in this position. Because when the lights are off and nobody's around, and even everyone else is telling him something else to do, he still knows what the right thing is to do. That's so hard to do. It's so hard to figure out. So let's see what happens, okay? So after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. You ever just have a problem in your life and it just won't go away? It just like seems to resurface its ugly head again and again and again. That's kind of like Saul. He just will not stop. And just when you thought, just when David thought he had a break, he just resurfaces again. And it says that he mustered 3,000 of his best to come after David and his 600 not so best. So if you do the quick math, he's outnumbered 5 to 1. So verse 3. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. 
The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when He said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So this is funny to me. This is like a sovereign setup. It's only God does this. We saw some sovereign setup in the last chapter, how God protected and he provided for David. He sent Jonathan, he provided some encouragement, and he protected him because Saul always got close to David, but he never could quite overwhelm him. And when he got really close, then God caused another battle to happen somewhere else, so Saul had to leave. And then in this situation, it's hilarious to me that in, only in God's sovereign setup can he have a person and an individual outnumber you five to one, have every advantage in every category, and God says, yeah, well, we'll just take him out when he goes to the bathroom. That's just, that's like awesome. He's outnumbered five to one. He's in trouble. They're hiding in a cave. Listen, like their mission is not to go out and fight and kill Saul. That's really not their mission. Their mission is just to hide and stay away from him. And we're going to read more about why in a minute. But their mission is to hide and stay away. And so David has been really doing a great job of being nothing but faithful. And he hears 3,000 are coming. They walk into the cave. It's a big cave. And you know all his men are like super quiet. Like, what is he doing in here? How did he know? And he's going to the bathroom. And they're all in the cave and they're like, hey, can this be any more clear from God? He puts your enemy in front of you completely vulnerable. He delivered him to you on a platter. This is your time. Take them. This is it. I'm trying to figure out how you say no to that. Here's how you say no. David cuts off just the corner of his robe, right? He didn't attack him. Verse 5. Afterward, David was conscious stricken. Ever say conscious stricken. For having cut off a corner of his robe, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. So this is striking to me. So he has him right there in the palm of his hand. His enemy is right there. The man who's personally responsible for kicking him out of the palace, for wanting to kill him, for arranging everybody in the kingdom to rat him out and give him up. God gives it to him. He's like, and he just cuts off a piece of his robe. And his men obviously are not happy with it because basically wherever David goes, his men are going to go. So whatever successes he experiences, his men are also going to experience. So they're probably nothing but confused. Says David rebukes them, says, Men, you don't get it. This is not actually God giving him to me right now. As soon as I cut his robe, oh, something went off inside of me. I, I don't something went off. This this isn't right. 
And so they're like, yeah, something went off. Like, I don't think you're thinking clearly. God has made this perfect for you. So Saul leaves. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down. Do you see the honor that continues to take place? The Lord's anointed. I don't have right to touch him. My Lord, he's bowing down. All to the man that's coming after to hunt him. There's an extreme amount of honor happening here. We'll talk about it. David bowed down, prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen to what men say? David is bent on harming you. This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you. Excuse me, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Well then, what do you say to that? God puts you here. Listen, man, I'm telling you, I'm not in rebellion, never have been. I'm not trying to take you out. And you are bent on taking me out. And I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. And so Saul, his response, um, oh, keep going a little bit from David, against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. Then David finished. Saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants nor wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Pretty interesting, right? So Saul responds and he says, man, I've been messing up. You are surely more righteous than I am. I've been doing the wrong thing. And then he goes as far as to say, hey, listen, God's going to establish you in your household. Don't cut off my household. Please don't forget about it. And David, if you remember, as we've been studying, he's already made a pact with Jonathan. So he already said, hey, listen, I'm never going to forget your household and your family. They made a covenant three times together. And then it's interesting to me that David and his men, did they go back to the palace where Saul was because it's all good now? No, he went back to the strongholds. He went back to the strongholds. He wasn't buying it all the way. He knows how Saul can be. Up, down, all around. 
<clears throat> so, a couple of things that strikes me about this, and like I said again, you know, we're going to come back to this in another couple of chapters. God is going to do the same thing again. He's going to deliver Saul to him again. And David's going to make the right move again. He's going to spare him again. Which, one thing that's interesting, you saw that, you saw that Saul was crying. He felt bad. But you realize how there was like no repentance to it at all? He just felt bad about it. He felt bad at being humiliated that he was doing the wrong thing, but did he ever change? He never changed. And there's a reality right in our lives that we feel sorry about things and we get sad about things, but that does not at all mean we're going to actually change anything we're doing. It just means we feel really sorry and bad for the situation. That does not guarantee a change. So that's something that's very interesting to me. On a higher note, on a higher note, I think you can see the development of this respect for the Lord's anointed. Didn't David say that a whole bunch of times? The Lord's anointed, the Lord's anointed. He just can't, he can't see himself doing anything to harm him. The Lord's anointed, and he just bowed before him, just respect him well. And, uh, you know, the title of the message is, uh, Hearts That Can Hear. I so appreciate the sensitivity and respect that David has for, in this case, a person that God had blessed and shown favor upon at one time and had established into a role. Since that time, God has really left him. He's not guiding Saul. He's not helping Saul. His favor is not resting on him. But as far as David is concerned, there is a person that the Lord uh, had done a work there, and David is not interested in carrying out the Lord's judgment for God on Saul. He's not interested in that. Like, I hope you can tell from the passage that David was Saul's enemy. Definitely. But Saul wasn't David's enemy. Isn't that interesting? David was absolutely Saul's enemy, but Saul's not David's enemy. All David really cared about is that he would be vindicated. See that word vindicated? And it was written down in the Psalms, and he wrote it in Psalm 54. And that basically means that God himself would show David to be innocent of what he was being accused of. Interesting thing to me is that David was like, you know what? I need to self-promote myself and make sure everybody knows and now go on a sort of mission to clear my name because I have been defaced and humiliated and talked bad about and accused for wrongdoing. David is in a cave running from his enemy trying to be as close to the Lord's heart as possible and he's saying, Lord, you vindicate me. God, you you make it clear that I've been honoring you, that I'm trying to do the right thing here, and that I am not who I'm being portrayed out to be. Father, you make that known. That's not my mission to make sure that everybody knows who I really am and what's really going on. That's up to you, Lord. I'm going to honor this man, Saul, 
I'm going to do whatever you call me to do. But I'm not interested in killing that man. He might want to kill me. I don't want to kill him. That's not what God has for me. I love the sensitivity in David's heart to understand his his calling was not to be the executioner and judge of God's judgment in Saul's life. His call was simply to be faithful and embrace the process of preparation that God wanted to do in his life. So honor me in the cave. Lead the 400 men that I gave you really well. Inspire them. Lead them in the right direction. God gave him 600. He added another 200 to him. Learn about my heart. Learn how to handle betrayal, loneliness. These things are all going to creep into your life. Be faithful on that front. That is what I'm preparing you for. As far as Saul goes, just stay away. And I think that, you know, you ask the question, well, why would God do that? Why would God actually deliver him on a platter? Boom. Right in front of David. And I believe... I really think that God did that intentionally to reveal, everybody say reveal, to reveal what was going on in David's heart. That's when character and integrity really shows up. He's really revealing, he's like, man, he's getting the perfect opportunity. And he's justified in every way, shape, or form. If you were to take him out right then and there. I mean, David took out Goliath, right? Isn't Saul in the same category? Apparently not. And David knew that. Not all enemies are created equal, I guess. And so David had this sensitivity to the Lord that would stop him, even when all of his other voices were saying, yeah, yeah, this is it. This is what you prayed for. You got it. Boom. Now get it. He's like, as soon as he just even cut off the rope, just touched it a little bit, just something went off inside of him. Here's what I think the Lord wants to draw our attention to. God really wants us. We're, you know, we're going to be in caves and people hunting us. You know, it's not realistic, really, for all that to happen. What is realistic and what the Lord really wants to minister to speak to our hearts on is that it's very important for us, number one, to see the value of integrity and of character. Because that's happening whether you like it or not. That building, that training is happening. It's really a question if we're going to embrace it. Um, but secondly, like the Lord wants to awaken our senses to his voice and be sensitive to who he is and what he wants to do. He's really calling his people, his sons and his daughters, so they're able to really recognize his voice amongst all others and they'll be on a shadow of a doubt. Man, that is my father. i got to respond. And if we flirt with lines in our life and those bells go off, it's like something goes off, that is so good. It's very problematic when we can sin or approach the line of sin and have nothing go off. And it doesn't bother us at all. And we kind of know that it should, but now we're at the point where it doesn't even bother and we can like deal with it. That is a bad place to be. 
That's called a searing of the conscience. Like with a hot iron, you know, you like sear stuff, you know? You just sear, like you're numb to it. You can't even feel it. And when we're close to the Lord and close to his heart, even in the most minute things we can just sense and feel, we just cut off, cut off a robe. It doesn't seem like much of a big deal. The Lord sent it off like an alarm, like through his body. Don't, don't, don't touch. Do not do it. I'll handle it on that front. Just stay away. Talk to him after. Draw attention to what you did. Let him know what the situation is. <laughs> Go back to hiding. That's not your battle to fight. That is mine. So there's this sensitivity, and God wants to awaken our hearts and our eyes and our ears. What is the thing? Hearts that can hear. Not just our hearts, but all parts of us. That's really sensitive to his voice and to his moving and his working around us. That's what he wants to develop in Jared. Like, I'm in a good place when I can like, clearly articulate and hear and just... It's not so foggy. It's not so clouded. It's good for me to be in a place like when the bells go off about something. It might not even, see like, even seem like that bad of a thing. And bells might go off in my heart and in my life and they won't go off in yours. And that doesn't mean I project it onto you. It just means I need to respond when it's happening to me. But none of that happens without any real character or integrity development. That stuff is so important. And so I guess really the million-dollar question is, well, how, how do we develop that type of sensitivity? You know, how do you develop that? Where does that come from? How do you just all of a sudden... And I don't know if it's just an all-of-a-sudden thing. It seems to be it's definitely much more of a gradual thing that the Lord does and that he shapes. Because the reality is, honestly, a lot of times, God's voice sounds like my voice. I'm trying to figure out, is it Jared or... I don't know. <laughs> what exactly is that? And so be able to discern between the two and better understand um, really helps us go a long way. This issue of purity of heart is so big Remember Jesus, maybe you remember, maybe you don't, Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There's such a premium on the purity of what happens on the inside. And so many times we just focus so much on the outside, like how we look, and about how we dress, how we might appear, how, what others might perceive about us. There's just so much involved there. And so much of the work that the Lord is actually doing is happening on the inside. And people tend to be okay with scheduling in workouts and all this other stuff for the outside, but tend to neglect the work that really needs to be done for the inside. And I'm telling you, it's a lot more important than what has to happen in here than what happens out here. And I promise you, on on the health front, (laughs) if you allow the time to do the work inside here, he's just going to create health happen out here. And it's going to happen in the right way, it's going to happen in a healthy way. And it's going to be really good, and all glory is going to point to him. I'm just telling you, fact, fact. He'll put the other stuff in order. But that requires faith, right? 
It requires faith, and you actually have to do it. So some practical steps. I think one way to help build sensitivity, to help create inside of us, is um, you have to put the word in there. You have to have the word in there. In Psalm 119, we can turn there, let's turn. Psalm 119, And if you notice, Psalm 119 is super, super long. (laughs) Longest book in the Bible. Psalm 119 is right in the middle. Pretty much if you split your Bible in half, you'll probably end up there. So if you get lost, just open it. Right in half. Psalm 119. Verse 9. So we're not in verse 100 and whatever because it does go that far. How can a young man keep his way pure? Isn't that what we're after right now, purity? How can a young man, old man, young girl, old girl, how can we keep their way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Here's the key, verse 11. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's like, I mean, that's, that's what it is. got to hide his word in your heart. If you're going to be sensitive to his voice, you've got to be at least familiar with the way he talks and the language that he uses. Otherwise, it's like an enormous riddle that you will never figure out. And you will wear yourself out. And you'll stop trying over time because it just gets exhausting. And so if we want to build our sensitivity to understanding his voice in a better way, and what does he sound like? How does he talk? What kind of language does he use? It's a really good idea to hide this in our hearts. And we don't have to tell everybody that we're doing it, you know, but just, man, there just has to be, like, we, at some point, you know, us as Christians, it's just super important at some point and it usually happens, honestly, at different seasons along the way where you just reaffirm it and you just say, you know what? Man, I am just staking my life on this thing and I'm going to do what I can to make sure this is implanted inside of me. And I am given this seed. I am just constantly putting in and watering and cultivating and I'll let the Lord bring the increase. But man, I, this is something I can control. I can control this part. I know a big thing with the Lord is, you know, take your hands off the steering wheel, let him be in control. Like, that's true. There's some elements we had to control, and part of what we control is our partnership, which leads to our overall health. And so we can control this. We can control how much gets in there. And I'm saying, man, like, and in 2017, we got a tremendous amount of access to so much of this everywhere. It's like, man, we're so losing if we're not really investing in it. This helps bring so much clarity to his voice. So staying in the word and hiding it in our hearts, that's one way to build sensitivity. But we can't really stop there. 
Because if you just do that, here's the temptation. Here's the bad side that could happen to that. There's a bad side to reading God's word all the time. Yes, there's a, there's a bad side to everything. Everything can be manipulated and everything's double-edged. The bad side is, you could just be so well-versed in this that all you know is this and you miss the author of this. Do you understand that we read this not to know the Bible, we read this to know the author? That's not mine, so I can't take full credit. I did hear it somewhere, I don't know where. And I said the same thing. I said, that's good. We read it to know the author. At the end of the day, that's what it's about. If we're reading it for really some other reason, like we're, we're kind of missing. And the Lord in his grace, you know, he'll bring us back around to help us to see that. Because sometimes it's just be an intellectual pursuit. But one way to guard against just knowing so much, because that's a danger, right? Just knowing, just growing in knowledge. And Paul wrote about that. Get puffed up with knowledge. It doesn't lead to love. It doesn't lead to unity. It leads to division, actually. And a false sense of where you're actually at. I'm a good self-deceiver. I'm guessing you are too. And you could probably convince yourself of almost anything. And you can probably self-preserve yourself really well and thinking you're a lot further along than where you really are. So one way that helps to guard against that is an almighty sovereign God who's in control. That really helps a lot. Because he knows that we can do that and deceive, we can deceive ourselves into thinking we're at a certain place when we're not. That's what happened with Peter. And me and Keller are talking about it. I'll die for you, Lord. I'll die for you. Sounds really bold and it just sounds really awesome and exciting. Sounds very virtuous. His intentions are great. But the problem is his intentions were not matched up with the reality. In his heart of hearts, he wants to be there. The reality is he is not there. Because in fact, as you know, Peter will then go and start swearing and denying he even knows him. I don't blankety blank and know him. Leave me the blankety blank alone. And that's the way the Bible refers to it. And this was the same one. That's the one, I will die for you. I don't know about them, but I will die for you. <laughs> and you can hear in his heart, like that's where he wants to be. But God in his infinite and sovereign setup that only he can do, say, man, you know, like that sounds great, but you need to see what I see. And he allows the situation to play out where Peter, I love how like Jesus didn't tell him beforehand, like, you're going to deny me, and you're so full of it, you don't know what you're talking about. If you really had a clue, you would realize, like, like he didn't really harp on it. He gave him a warning, but he didn't, like, rub his face in it and humiliate him and condemn him. In fact, what he did do is later on, he went back and he did a one-on-one session just with Peter. He said, listen, man, you really got to think before I say some things. I'm, sure, I'm imagining he said something like that. The Bible actually doesn't say what they talked about one-on-one. 
it just creates the point of sometimes we think we're further along than what we are, and one of the huge proponents of that is knowledge. Just because you know some things doesn't at all mean you know anything. Especially when it comes to the kingdom. So it doesn't matter how much schooling somebody gets, how many degrees that they have, who they've been under or been around. It doesn't guarantee or necessarily mean that they actually know the heart behind all of it. Please don't hear that knowledge is not important and they shouldn't learn things. I never said that. <laughs> You're supposed to learn things. But there's a way to do it. And so to help guard against that, I finally get to the second one now. Second thing is you've got to put it into action. So Jesus said, he said, uh, James said it too, as a brother, don't just be hearers, be doers as well. And Jesus said, whoever the wise person is, they're not only going to listen to this, then they're going to go put it into practice. And then they're going to bear fruit. So like, helping to build sensitivity is we've got to hide this in our hearts for sure, but then we don't stop there. You know, we actually put some things into practice. We let the Lord do what he's going to do, and we take steps of faith, and we do it. <clears throat> and I'd probably add one more to it. Let's make it three. Three things. You know, one thing is we hide the word in our heart, then we put it into practice. And then the third thing I would add is we actually um, pray back to the Lord the things that we have been reading and learning about. We pray it back to Him. We pray back some of the word and some of the Bible. We pray His own language back to Him. He tends to breathe life into that and bring revelation and just bring understanding. I don't quite know how it works, but that's what happens. I very much desire for all of us to be that, those types of people where we're like, you know what? When it seems like God brought a perfect thing and just like laid it in our lap, where we have enough maturity and enough sensitivity, and we say, you know what? It's probably not best for me right now. I'm going to have to walk away from that. Even though it seems so good and so great. High character, high integrity will do that. Here's the other thing that I hope that we also draw from this. I hope that we also think about the fact that this had to do with a person, and God had started a work with the person, and unfortunately they chose, I'm talking about Saul, he chose to go a different direction. And I'm saying, like, when we're with our brothers and sisters and other people, it'd be interesting if we actually treated them like God's anointed. It's obvious we have faults and flaws. It's easy to be critical. It's easy to just focus on the, on the weaknesses and the failures, the repeat, especially the repeated ones. That's, like, the easiest. They've been doing that stupid thing forever. When are they going to listen and do it different? I've already told it to them. Good luck winning anything that way. You lost already. You might be right, but you lost. So if it's true in the New Testament, where it says multiple places that any born-again believer, any Christian, 
has an anointing of God on their life? There's probably something to be said for man just treating and just honoring people based on the anointing from God on their life, made in the image of God, His Spirit residing in them. Maybe not actively looking amazing, but the Spirit of God is on their life and in their life, and so we're going to honor them in that way and just respect them at high levels. Regardless of their performance or their language or their dress warrants it or not. Wouldn't that be interesting? It'd be interesting. I bet people would just pray for a president, whether they liked him or not. Man, the Lord put him there. God said, pray for those in leadership. Man, so I'm just I'm gonna honor that office. I might not love that person, but I'm praying that the Lord will touch that family, give them guidance and wisdom. Like you just treat people a lot differently. When it's in a way to honor them and to respect like an anointing that just happens and a working that God does in people's lives. And I very much feel like that's like the way that God wants us to interact with each other. That's why it's so silly for churches to be so divided about things and not work together and collaborate. It's just silly. What is that? It's not helpful. And then it's silly for us to just have up walls and barriers against people, especially other Christians. Well, they never are nice to me. You know. We find all this stuff like to be mad at people for. Like it's just what are we doing? There's just no value there. I think David models an excellent way on how to treat people. Not to honor them. Because if the Lord's Spirit is on people, I, honestly, it, you know what? It's our job to just love people really well. He gets to just judge them. It's our job to love and forgive and bring His heart to those around us. That's our job. Within that, we get to share the good news about Jesus to people that don't know, and hopefully they respond and then they get quote unquote saved. But our job is not to just rake in a whole cattle or herd and just make sure they all do a profession of faith. Our job is to love people as excellent as we can, to labor and prayer for them, to pray for them to see right if they're not seeing clear at all. If they're making mistakes and they're just like, seems like they're drowning, doing nothing but going backwards, I hope that we're not the people that say, well, that's a lost cause there. Let's move on over here. I think we quit too easy on people. And so there's this, this awakeness of sensitivity that I think the Lord just really wanted to impress upon our hearts this morning. And at least just think more about. And prayerfully be about. And hopefully we, uh, you know, won't quit on people and we'll be encouraged from some boundaries that the Lord's going to put in our life. He's going to make some bells go off in some places where we never heard them before. It's not legalism. It's the Spirit doing something good. I'm pass it on. So hold on to the elements. We're going to take it together.
God, we thank you, Lord, for the model that you show us, Lord. I mean, David's not perfect. We're seeing him right now on some good days that he's having for sure. We're going to see on some other days, Lord, that he's not doing so well. But he's a man just like us, Lord. But we have um, the amazing gift of you, Holy Spirit, to help lead us and guide us and direct us. And we thank you for that. And Holy Spirit, we just want to uh, know your voice even better, even more clearly. To where we can really be able to discern what is best, what is from you and what is not from you. And I just pray for just for, and we ask you for a fresh outpouring of your voice as we get into your word and as we study it and we keep it in our hearts, Lord. Make us aware of how we can live it out and put it in practice. It's incredible, Lord, what you do with men and women that are just sensitive to you and to your leading and to your voice. Where their character and their integrity is secure in you and they don't need approval um, and acceptance and they don't suffer from fear of everybody else and they're not under the control of their emotions, Lord. So I thank you that you're bringing us to that place, Lord. It's good and it's exciting, Father. I just pray that we'd embrace the process, Lord. Help us to be willing parties. So Jesus, we thank you for your blood that was shed for us, that you gave up for us a new covenant where we're forgiven in you, Lord. We thank you. We receive it. We say thank you. We don't quite understand it. But give us greater insight to it. And may we um, become, not just receive, but become the love that has saved us forever. So we take and we drink. And God, we thank you for your body, the bread. And Jesus, you even said it. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father. It's true and it's a reality. So we pray for more uh, words from you, Lord, to encourage us, to sustain us in ways that food won't even do it, Lord. A word from heaven and words from you have a way of just touching and transforming our whole countenance, our whole body. And we ask for an increase of words from you, Lord. Make your word just come alive to us, Lord God. Breathe life on it, Lord. So we take and we eat. So let's stand. We're going to close in prayer. So everybody knows about David and Goliath. I want to suggest to you that arguably 
One of David's greatest battles was in that cave right then and there. Twice. Twice. Arguably one of his greatest battles. Because it was in those moments he was really understanding and discerning like what God wanted him to do and what his position really was. It's powerful stuff. Um, So let's ask God to help us and give us strength. God, I pray that you'd give us strength, that you'd help us to uh, discern your voice from so many. It's not impossible, Lord. Sometimes we make it impossible, Father, because we don't uh, you know, give you the right time. And we don't just... We just don't become intentional about it, Lord, and we find other things. So it makes it so hard. I thank you, Lord, that as we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. I thank you also as we draw near to you, the enemy flees. So, Father, just bring about your voice in powerful ways in our lives. I pray that we would share things that you share with us with other people, Lord, to just get better understanding, to grow more, Lord. Help us to be humble, Lord, if you're speaking to our hearts, Father. And God, I just thank you for the way that you're just... uh, doing a work in each of us to build us in character and integrity, Lord, to where we're doing the right things for the right reasons, even when nobody's around. We're just able to to be in the right place, Lord God. So, Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for the good work that you're doing, Lord. You're bringing us and transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. You're building all of these things into us, Lord. It's really about us just partnering and understanding and being in agreement with it, Father. So I pray that we would do that, Lord, that we would do our part and position ourselves where we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.